Good morning. Good morning. Um, it's great to see many of you. It's been a while. Via uh, Zoom, in person, I know there are some of you visiting. And I know there are many of you also uh, watching online, and I know that for various reasons you're unable to come. We miss you too. Um, so thanks for coming uh, this morning. Well, um, friends, we come to a passage that may be very familiar to you. It is uh, definitely a joy and privilege to serve you this Sunday morning. If you're visiting, my name is Shabu. I have the joy of being one of the pastors at Canterbury. This morning, we want us to consider the true words that are in front of us, true words that are from God's Word, the Bible. And you may be someone who's exploring the Christian faith, and during Christmas, you might be either watching our service or your family have brought you along today. We pray, whoever you are, that Jesus will continue to reveal himself to you. What I want us to consider this morning is this, the statement, God alone. God alone. With that in mind, would you join with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. As we gather today, whether in our homes or here physically in this place, oh Lord, I pray through your word, through the power of your spirit, would you overwhelm our hearts once again with what you alone can do and have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you have been so overjoyed that you are moved to sing out loud, whether if it's in the car or whether if it's a song, you know, whatever it might be. I grew up watching Bollywood movies. If you're wondering, uh, I grew up in, in, in Indian heritage, uh, hence my skin color. Anyway, um, so... <laughs> now, we can edit that out, right? Um, no, okay. So, here's the thing. When I watch Bollywood movies, there's this moment, if you've never seen it, they're awesome, uh, three hours of your life, you'll never get back. But there are moments where you watch it and there's this sort of, um, whether if it's joyful time or whether if it's really sad time, they break out in song. They respond to their very circumstance and they're overjoyed. Now, that's a very silly illustration and we've got a far more important song and poem in front of us. This is the moment where Mary breaks into a poem or a song because she's moved by the Spirit of God because of the reality of what they've been waiting for as a people has come true. Now, depending on your church background, you may have been taught to have a very high regard and view of Mary to the point of worshipping her. We love you and we pray that you will explore who Jesus is. We don't worship Mary at this church. Perhaps you've grown up in traditions where you push Mary away. You don't even think about her. You don't want to elevate her too high. Or perhaps you've grown up in church traditions where most Sundays you may have said something like this, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. We want you to know in the Bible, Mary does have a significant role, not as much about who she is, Rather, who she is to God and how he has raised her up for his purposes and part of his salvation plan. He graciously chooses someone who is very unlikely to be the earthly mother of Jesus. 
Now, friends, the words in front of you are, should stir something in us. It should cause us to move and ask some questions. And that's what I hope and pray will happen today. Now, I want you to know this is part of the biggest story, and this is where we're at with the story. This is known as one of the Gospels. This is the Apostle Luke. He's a follower of Jesus. He's writing this for a purpose. Every single account in the Gospel Luke has a purpose. He's writing to a guy called Theophilus. He wants to ensure that Theophilus knows by certainty that what has been taught to him is true including the very birth of Jesus and the very miracle and conception of Jesus to Mary. And just before this very beautiful song and poem, there's lots of foretelling or announcements of births, one of John the Baptist, the other of Jesus. Mary is a young girl. She's engaged to Joseph. And God sends an angel, Gabriel, to announce a life-changing announcement to her. And if you have a Bible, you can actually look this up. So if you look up Luke chapter 1 and verses 30 to 33, here's God's word. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end." Friends, it is the very most amazing moment in history. And understandably, Mary has some questions. I mean, she's still a virgin. She hasn't been married. How can this be? The angel explains in detail in chapter 1 how this will be possible, not only for her, but also her relative, who's very old. And she too is pregnant. How is this possible? What's going on? In Luke chapter 1, the angel makes this wonderful, true statement. For nothing will be impossible with God. God alone can do this. God alone will act act to achieve his plans and purposes for salvation. And he will do the most, he will do this because this is part of his plan. It is done in the most unlikely way, humanly speaking. And even just before this song, we have this moment when Mary visits her relative Elizabeth, and before she even comes to explain what has just happened, have a look again in Luke 1, verses 39 to 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah, and she entered at the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And notice these verses. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what is spoken to her from the Lord. What an amazing, powerful moment. This actually truly happened, friends. But did you hear that and see that? Elizabeth hasn't had a conversation with Mary yet. All she heard was a hello, perhaps. And the very baby within her womb leaped with joy. 
And the Holy Spirit moves her to reclaim and exclaim these things like saying with a loud shout. That's the language. It's like with a loud shout, she says, Mary, you are blessed because you've been given this unique privilege, the role of being the earthly mum for Jesus. Now, not only did Elizabeth rejoice, her baby in her womb rejoiced. We're talking about John the Baptist here. I mean, there's lots going on here. It's almost as though John the Baptist himself in this room is declaring, here is the Messiah we have been waiting for. Brothers and sisters, what we have here is picture of praise and joy because God alone has done this. Only God can do this. God is the one who has done this and hence why there's so much rejoicing in the passage in front of us which leads to this beautiful poem or song that you have in front of you. Have a look again in those verses in front of you. Mary's whole soul is overwhelmed. So overwhelmed, she wants to make God great. She wants to celebrate. She wants to lift aloud who God is and what he's done. Not only this, every fiber of her very being is wanting to lift out loud God. Her spirit within her rejoices in God, her Savior. This is picture of worship, heartfelt, joyous worship because of the announcement that has just come. Now, why is she rejoicing so much? Why does she have this response? Is it just because she's been chosen for this task? Well, actually, previously in the early chapter, you hear what she says to the angel, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. She submits to God's plan. And friends, we might not realize this. You've got to remember who she is. This is significant. Most likely, she's a young lady. She's already pregnant. She's not married yet. And in Jewish custom, that is that is horrible news. That would mean death for her and shame for her. And yet she submits to God's plan. This is why we have these words saying, said by her, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For she knows from now on all generations, as stories are told, will call her blessed. Friends, uh, when, I, when you hear that language, it's not as though she's saying, ah, look how humble I am. This is why God has chosen me. The way that it's written is actually a better way to look at it is the, like this, if you can hear this in her voice. It's like saying, Lord, I know I am no one. Actually, the language is so strong here, it's saying, I am guilty morally, yet you're willing to choose me. This is why they will call me blessed. And friends, what we have is this powerful picture. This is what God has done. For he is mighty. He's the Holy One. He has indeed done great things. God alone has done this. Mary has not done it. It is God alone. I don't know if you have ever had the privilege and joy to talk to someone who's just given their life to Jesus. 
I don't know if you've ever had that moment to just spend time with them and you hear how they have been confronted by the good news of Jesus and they're so overwhelmed they can't stop talking about it. This past week, I had the joy and privilege to have coffee with someone who's been coming to our church community and they're going through trial and suffering and this person shared their story of God's grace in their life. And all I could do was, as I headed back to the car, was I just praise you, God. Maybe you've been someone who's grown up in church culture and community, and there's that moment, whether if it's been a journey or that moment, where the grace of God it comes to your heart refreshed again, and you are overwhelmed by what, by what he's done. But friends, can I be honest... Has that been the reality for you and I this year? Is the grace of God still good news for you and for me? It might be wonderful theological truth that you believe in, you hang on to, but does it cause your heart and my heart to sing? Does it cause us to be overwhelmed by what God has done, by His might? That his very holiness has moved him not to sit back, but to act, to save us. When was the last time, brothers and sisters, that you genuinely just magnified the Lord and rejoiced in God our Saviour? Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we're merry. I don't think all generations will call us blessed. But we like her in this, that there is nothing, there's this wonderful truth, it should be something, this wonderful grace of God is amazing and overwhelming. See, but we know in our world, this world reminds us that it's all about you. Mary understands it's not about her. Uh, Friends, I've got news for you, sorry to break this to you, Uh, you might not like what I'm about to say, it's the very narrative of our culture that you and I are somebody. No, we are nobodies. Yet God in his mercy has looked on you because of his son. He has chosen to give regards towards you and I. God alone, and friends, the Bible's description is of grace. Does grace cause your heart and my heart to say, how amazing is it? I pray it does something even in you today. I pray that it moves through his spirit to magnify and rejoice in God our Saviour. And particularly for those of us who do know Jesus Christ. Has the very circumstances in your life, which are real circumstances, are they drowning out the wonderful truth that God has done what he has done, he alone can do to save you? God alone has done this. And so Mary moves from personally to verses 50 to 53. It's really a vision of contrast. If you have a chart, you kind of put it next to each other. How has God alone done this? What has he done? He has shown himself to be merciful to those who fear him. Not just one generation, but generation after generation. He has shown strength with his arm. What, what's going on here is via this poem, it's a reminder both of Theophilus and others then who God is. This is the God who's loyal, 
loyal to his people. He's merciful to them. And it's displayed wonderfully. I mean, even in Luke, and other Gospels have this sort of family history. Luke has little smidgens of it. But what it's meant to do is to make us go, wow, how amazing is God? How faithful is He? He's loyal to His people. He always has been loyal, unlike His people. He has shown this is not Him just stepping back. It drives, His loyalty drives Him to action towards them. The picture that we're given, friends, it's a beautiful picture of a God who fights for his people, the one who fights for those who fear him. This contrast that's in front of us is a gracious picture of who God is and who we are to him. It is a God at work in the life of those who are his. It is God alone. It is God alone. Do you know this? Do you and I rest in this? Do we embrace that God has indeed been merciful and he indeed has shown his strength? Now, the very other opposite is contrast, right? God scatters the proud and the thoughts of their heart. God brings down the mighty from their thrones. I know in our world, day and age, we are constantly being reminded how great and mighty we are. The constant narrative I hear at the moment is, we've beaten it. Friends, that's nothing new. Genesis 3 has always shown that. Where we think we have a right and we are God. And in the time of Mary, people who were rich and powerful saw themselves, they actually have a right. And particularly, to be cared for by God. But this is not how God's kingdom works. It is the kingdom of opposites. This is what Mary is doing in this moment. Whether if it's to point to past moments or the very present at the time, the point is God is not bound by what people do. God is the one who has the right and authority to turn human attitudes and every orders of life upside down because of who he is. The Lord who goes to fight for his people. The Lord who looks at the humble. In verse 52, we're given this reminder of what God is doing in that and what he's done in the past and what he's doing now and what he will do in the future. God is in the working of bringing things that are mighty down. And in this context, it's literally kings and he will exalt the humble. This posture is about humility. Friends, what's going on in this song as it continues to go? God fills the hungry with what is good and joyful. And he sends the rich empty away. It's once again pictures of contrast. It's filling the hearts and souls of those who are hunger for the things of God. For God's purposes and plans to be fulfilled. In contrast to those who are proud will be sent away hungry spiritually and empty no spiritual wealth. Do you see what matters to God? Do you see how amazing and wonderful and glorious is our God? Do you know what he has done, what he is doing? God alone is the one who fills the very soul that is starving with good things. What does that look like? 
Well, Mary talks about it in her poem, moves from her to outward to finally to the faithfulness of God and his peop- to his people. He has indeed helped his servant Israel by remembering his loyal love and commitment. He promises he would. And as we went throughout the Old Testament this year, God kept on saying, I will do this. I'm loyal to you. What's going on is this very poem is so soaked in who true God is, his very character. And it's this moment where Mary's pointing back and forward and reminded that God will act, and he has. It's a powerful reminder of who he is. It's a reminder that God alone can do this. Mary can't do it. Israel can't do it. Elizabeth can't. You can't. I can't. God alone can. Friends, particularly for those of us who have been following Christ for a long while, does the truth and beauty and the grace of God still confront your heart? Does it overwhelm you? Does it cause our heart and soul to magnify and rejoice in God? Or will we be proud in our thoughts? We think we've done this. You know what? Uh, Sam said a really poignant thing at communion earlier today. Where he said, you're trying to look for the new thing to say. Uh, for those of us who've been uh, in ministry for a while, Christmas is one of those moments where you go, okay, what's the new angle I can do for Christmas? What's the new thing based on this passage that you know, I've preached on earlier before? What a stupid, foolish thing to think about. I'll tell you why. The beauty and grace of God is always something that should stir and overwhelm our hearts. But if you're someone who's just put your faith in Christ or someone who's been following for a long time, does it still? God is the one who has done this, both in the past and the present. And we need to be careful that we don't let this wonderful beauty and true message of what God has done become like that familiar Christmas carol that we sing and we don't even think about what the words say. Does our soul magnify the Lord? Do we rejoice in God our Saviour? I know, everyone talks about it. What a year it's been. What a year it's been. Has COVID, has lockdowns, mandates robbed the very joy and the knowledge that God sent his only son, to rescue us. See, the very heart of this points to the one Mary is carrying in her womb. Jesus Christ, the one who in his very essence is the humble servant. The one who came to serve and not to be served. The one who is God, our Savior, in full high definition, glorious beauty. He has indeed shown us mercy for our pride through his perfect life and his perfect death. Mary needs a saviour, so do you and I. Not just once, but every day till our final breath. He has indeed not filled, he has indeed filled us with good things. Glad news. Glad news. What is that glad news? The gospel salvation has come. Our sins are forgiven if we put our trust 
in him. Jesus alone will always be the loyal one. Does it still cause your heart and my heart to magnify the Lord? The Lord alone has done this through his Son. And friends, if you do not know who this Jesus is, perhaps you've explored him, maybe you're not sure, I would invite you, even this Christmas, to be confronted by this truth. That Jesus is the Son of God, that He is God Himself who came to this earth, who died on the cross for your sin and my sin, was raised physically again on the third day. And there's nothing you can do to save yourself. It's by grace alone, it is God's work. And I would encourage you, whoever you are, to perhaps ask the question Jesus, is this real? And explore Him. This is who God is. This is what he has done. And friends, I pray if you know Christ that this song overwhelms you with this truth, what God alone has done. And maybe what God is calling you to do this week, perhaps, is, behold, I am your servant, Lord, here I am, to go and live for him. Friends, this week, I'm encouraging you, if you know Jesus as you head into your meals and various Christmas events, why don't you pause, and particularly for those of us who know one another and if you know they're Christians, ask, how did you come to know Jesus? As you talk about the various mandates and lockdown rules and various Omicron strains and whatever else it might be, the hot topics in your conversations, before you talk about those things, ask, hey, I've just got a question for you. How did you come to know Jesus? Perhaps that conversation will even cause you to sing. And for those of you who do not know Jesus, I would invite you to seriously consider what Christ has done and who he is, because guess what? He will return again. And he's not coming back as a baby. He's coming back as the conquering king. Your soul is at stake, brothers and sisters. Please take it seriously. I invite you to explore that with us. In closing, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Praise God. Would you join with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, I come before you as our great and glorious Saviour. We thank you for your mercy towards us and we praise you and worship you. We pray that the good news of the gospel, the good news of grace will never be a news that we tire of. You've been gracious to us to save us. For those of us who know you, may we be overwhelmed with this truth. 
for those of us who are far from you or perhaps hardened and exploring, break our hearts to this wonderful truth. Through your Spirit, for your glory.